Hello there, folks. Welcome back into the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. Today's week five of our podcast and week 12 of the college football season coming up. It's Friday, November 18th. And remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Instagram at the Student Section CFB, or you can find us online at thestudentsection.net. All right, so all that out of the way, we have an absolutely massive week of college football ahead of us, ladies and gentlemen, and we had some monumental games, upsets, call it whatever you want to call it, in college basketball last week that we're finally going to touch upon as part of the podcast. Super excited to do that. We had a new college football playoff ranking show drop on Tuesday. Not a lot of change, but there's still points to be talked about. So if you like all that, folks, stay tuned. And remember, at the end of the show, we will have our picks for the week, our best bets, and we'll be responding to some takes from you the fans. So if you enjoy all that, stay tuned and enjoy the program, folks. Let's do it. All right. So on Tuesday, we got a new edition of the college football playoff top 25 rankings. And you don't need me to tell you that there wasn't a lot of movement whatsoever. The top five stayed completely static. The only real big move that you should take note of was Oregon dropping as far as they did, but that was expected after their loss to Washington. So really, when you look at these rankings as a whole, there's nothing to write home about. There's nothing noteworthy that we need to sit here and analyze. So what I figured we'd do this week was take a look at the proposed 12-team model that'll be coming hopefully as soon as 2024 and talk about what that would look like in this climate and just how good it would be for college football if we got this thing as soon as possible. So first of all, the format. What you're going to have in this playoff format is the four highest-ranked conference champions receiving a bye to the second round and the highest remaining conference champion to the Power Five playing in the first round. And where this gets really interesting is that the highest-ranked Group of Five champion receives an automatic bid to the playoffs, most likely to play a first-round matchup. Who doesn't want to see that? It's about time that the Group of Five gets their fair shot every single year. Will they get blown out? Maybe. I'm not saying they're going to win, but it's about time they get their shot. So, looking at what the matchups would look like in this 12-team playoff this year, for argument's sake, we're going to assume that Michigan loses to Ohio State and doesn't win the Big Ten. So, what you would have was number 12, UCF, at number 5, Michigan, at the Big House. Who doesn't want to see that? Then you would have number 9, Clemson, at number 8, Alabama, on that same side of the bracket. Number 10, Utah, at number 7, LSU, and the other side of the bracket. And then to round out the first round, number 11, Penn State, at number 6, Tennessee. Who doesn't want to see these matchups, folks? You're telling me you wouldn't tune into another week of college football where we're guaranteed four top 15 matchups? And I'm not saying all these are going to be close games, but some of these have real close game potential, real instant classic potential. And then obviously the winner of these four games would go on to play number four, USC, number three, TCU, number two, Ohio State, and number one, Alabama. That goes without saying. So why is the 12-team playoff so important? Why am I such a big believer in it? Because quite frankly, it gives a lot of the teams that are out of it at this time of year a real shot to compete and a real shot to still play for something. So what I want you to do, folks, is I want you to take a look at all these teams that have basically been told that their playoff bid is over, that their season is over, whether they have two losses or they have one big loss. It's all irrelevant to me. So the first team I want to look at here is Penn State. Eight and two team, their only two losses are to the number three and the number two teams in the country. UCLA, eight and two, a top 15 loss. Alabama, eight and two, losses to the number five and the number six team in the country. 
Washington and Oregon can be grouped into the same thing here because they're both 8-2 and two with losses to top 15 teams. Does it really seem fair to tell these teams that their season is over after losing two games to very respectable opponents? Does it make sense to tell them that they have nothing to play for? And another thing I want to touch on, too, is the, the ACC situation. What's going to go on with Clemson or North Carolina? We're basically guaranteed to exclude a one-loss Power 5 conference champion from this four-team playoff. Does that seem fair at all to tell these kids, hey, you went 12-1, and 13-1. You know what your reward is? A bowl game in the New Year's Six that half your kids are going to sit out anyways. I've never been a big believer in that at all. So why else do we think the 12-team playoff is a good idea? Well, like I said already here, we're leaving out a one-loss conference champ, but also the biggest potential for growth that I see in this 12-team playoff is we're going to get on-campus playoff games. Who does not want to see a playoff game on a college campus in front of 100,000 rowdy kids as opposed to at a neutral site NFL stadium in front of a bunch of corporate suits? You're telling me that you wouldn't sign up for that? Because I definitely would. And the other thing that this 12-team playoff does is it creates the importance of your seed and where you finish the rankings at. Because let me tell you something. In the four-team model, it doesn't matter if you're one seed, two seed, three seed, four seed, because you're guaranteed a neutral site game no matter where you finish. In the 12-team model, you will be playing for home field advantage in the first round in a game in front of 100,000-plus fans. Who doesn't want to see that, folks? To me... It's a no-brainer. We got to get this 12-team playoff here, and we got to get it fast. Anyways, it's time to move on now to our games of the week here. Let's jump into it. Next play. First down. Play action. Thompson Robinson will run. Thompson Robinson will hurdle again. Estes on his feet. What? Dorian Thompson Robinson finally spinning and down at the 10. No, he didn't. No, he did not. That's right, folks. Our student section game of the week is going to be number 7 USC at number 16 UCLA. And what a game for the victory bell it is going to be. At long last, we are getting the first matchup of Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly. They're both relatively new in their jobs. Chip Kelly in year five, Lincoln Riley in his maiden season. And this is going to be a coaching matchup that we're going to be having every year for the foreseeable future. I mean, UCLA 2-2 against the Trojans under Kelly and Lincoln Riley playing UCLA for the first time. But this is a number that I wanted to point out. He is 22-2 in November and December games, excluding the playoffs. So regular season conference championships. Lincoln Riley knows how to get his team going down the stretch, and it looks like they're peaking at the right time. They've had a couple questionable results as of late, but it finally looks like that offense is hitting its stride. The defense is making big plays when it, when it needs to. And speaking of which, this is going to be a high-scoring affair. This game is going to give you some serious fireworks. This is going to be the best shootout of the season in my eyes. So don't let that 75-and-a-half point over-under scare you, folks, because these two teams put up 90 in their last meeting combined. In the last five years, the winner of this game has averaged 47 points in the game. Both of these teams, top 10 in points per game nationally, with USC third and UCLA sitting ninth. And then the final stat I wanted to point out regarding this over for all you betters out there The over is hit in 70% of games this year 
where one of these teams has played. 70%. So like I said, I know the total's lofty. I'm looking at that 75, and I'm thinking the same thing that you are, but I wouldn't be phased by it one bit because this is going to be the shootout of the season. And if you want to know why, the first thing you got to look at is the two quarterbacks, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, against Superman Caleb Williams. So you're going to want to look at the quarterbacks. First up, DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 2,800 yards, 27 touchdowns, and four picks on the season. By the way, six touchdowns in this game against USC last year. Then you've got Caleb Williams with 3,200 yards and 37 touchdowns. And you really want to highlight one thing with Williams. It's going to be his second-half performance. His yards per attempt, completion percentage, passer rating, all that improves. And to me... What stands out the most with a guy like Caleb Williams is his 75% completion percentage inside the red zone, and that is a key for this USC team. So when you compare this season's USC offense to last season's USC offense, that's what it boils down to is finishing drives, getting those points in deep. And that leads me into my next point about how a team is going to win this game. It's going to come down to a defense. Your defense is going to need to bend, not break, limit the big plays, force field goals in the red zone. And I wanted to highlight two players that I think could change the game defensively on both sides. For the Trojans, it's Tuli Tuapolotu with 11.5 sacks and 17.5 tackles for loss on the season. You look on the UCLA side, a familiar face, Layatu Latu with 8 sacks and 9.5 tackles for loss this season. So looking first at UCLA, their loss to Arizona does take a little bit of heat off of this game because now they're going to need help to reach the Pac-12 title game. And what these two games between USC and UCLA and Utah and Oregon much later that night do is they serve as almost Pac-12 semifinals because of the conference's lack of divisions. And what you can see happen if UCLA and Washington both went out is the Pac-12 title race and who reaches the championship game is going to come down to win percentage against common opponents. Total chaos here in the Pac-12 towards the end of the season. But nonetheless, we're going to dive into the more technical side of things. And the one thing you have to talk about when looking at the run game of both teams. On UCLA's side, you have Zach Charbonnet and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who currently sit fifth nationally in yards per play with 7.0, and Zach Charbonnet is at the top of the nation in yards per carry. On the other side of things, USC's run defense is 97th in the country and 87th in the country in yards per play allowed. On USC's backfield, who's going to step up, uh, step up without Travis Dye, who just went down with a season-ending injury? In the span of a week, you're going to have to find a way to replace 884 yards rushing and nine touchdowns. And right now, Austin Jones is the next man up. He's got 335 yards, three touchdowns, and averages just over six yards a carry. And after him, the backfield does not look all that solid, being that Caleb Williams is third on USC in rushing yards. They do not have a solid back to get behind Jones and replace the hole left by die. The next thing you have to look at when talking about USC is their concerning results in their most recent stretch of games. They're 1-3 against the spread in their last four games, all against teams that they were favored against. You look at their last game, a 41-35 home win over Cal in which they were favored by 20 points. Then they barely beat Arizona on the road, 45-37, in a game they were favored by two touchdowns, and then obviously losing at Utah when entering as two-point favorites. So that's enough about this game. Now, moving on to the other side of the Pac-12, we have number 10, Utah, at number 12, Oregon, in the nightcap. For two in the lead. Rising. Up the middle. He's in. 
So next up, we have number 10, Utah, at number 12, Oregon. This is your 10:30 nightcap over on ESPN. And Oregon right now favored by three points at home. So this is the Pac-12 championship game rematch from last year. And Utah took that one 38-10 on December 3rd. But they also throttled Oregon a second time back in November of that same season. Oregon just hasn't seemed to have the antidote for Utah, although new coach Dan Lanning steps in and could provide the spark needed. When you look at their last two games against Utah, the ground game has been king. Utah outrushed Oregon 399-137 to in their two games against each other last year. And Oregon and Utah currently sit second and third in Pac-12 rushing this year, with the Ducks at 240 rush yards per game and Utah at 210. So much like we talked about UCLA's loss taking heat off of their game with USC, Oregon's loss to Washington has actually added heat to their game against Utah because what this game does now is it serves as a Pac-12 eliminator. It essentially serves as a semifinal as the winner will control their destiny and essentially secure a bit of the Pac-12 championship game. You're looking at both quarterbacks in this one, too. Both injured, but both probable. Bo Nix was injured late in last week's game against Washington, and Cameron Rising missed the game against Washington State back at the end of October, but has since been hindered by that injury. Talking first about a guy like Rising, it's hard to ignore his splits at home versus on the road. His passer rating drops by over 20 points in road games, and his touchdown-to-interception ratio is 50-50. He's got three touchdowns and three interceptions on the road this year. But where he could be helped out is the Utah O-line. They have been the best offensive line in the Pac-12 bar none. They've allowed just seven sacks all year and just two on the road, and that could come in handy against an Oregon defensive line that is missing some key names and struggling as of late with zero sacks in their last two games. Tavion Thomas is finally finding his stride behind this line, averaging five yards a carry in his last four games. And like we said earlier, Utah is now over 200 rush yards per game. And when you look at Oregon now, this is the show-me game for Coach Dan Lanning. This is his opportunity to show everyone how far they've come since that loss to Georgia. These are the kind of games that make or break a coaching tenure. And better yet, how do you bounce back from a loss against Washington? Well, you look at the last time they lost, they rebounded with eight straight wins where they averaged 40-plus points a game. I mean, after that loss to Georgia, they averaged 530 yards of total offense, best in the nation in that span. They also won 70% of their games against the spread in that span, and I really think the guy to credit for that is Coach Dillingham and his ability to revitalize this Oregon offense. They went from a spread option look where their quarterbacks were throwing, I'd say, more than 50 passes a game to a much more balanced zone-read style of offense, and you could see it in the stats. I mean, you take a look at the numbers, they're averaging 282 pass yards a game and 210 rush yards a game. The dual threat ability of Bo Nix and the versatility of this offense is what makes them so lethal, and that's why they've been so hard to stop in this span. So that's all we got for this game. Moving on now to our long list of game picks for the week. Let's do it. Folks, it's the best time of the week. We are going to get into our list of game picks. Got a couple early window games here. First one is number four, TCU, looking to stay unbeaten against Baylor. That game's at noon over on Fox. And I think you have to take TCU with the two and a half points in this one. They showed everybody who they were last week. They showed Vegas while they deserve respect last week. And that is why they are favored in this game. I like the over 57 and a half as well. Let's move on. 
Illinois at number three, Michigan, a noon game over on ABC. Michigan currently favored by 18 and a half, and they haven't lost by, or they haven't won by less than that at home this season, except for the game against Maryland. So give me Michigan minus 18 and a half and the over 42. Now moving on to Georgia at Kentucky. Georgia, one of the few SEC teams not participating in Cupcake Week. That game's at 3.30 over on CBS. Georgia 22.5 point favorites, and I like the under 49. Little tidbit for you to know, the over is 1-9 in in Kentucky games this season. Their offense hasn't been able to get it done against better teams. Let's move on to Ohio State at Maryland. 3.30 ABC. Ohio State currently 27-point favorites. I wouldn't touch it. Granted, they did cover 40 points a week ago, but these two offenses are too good not to score less than 64 points. I like the over. Moving on to the 5.30 game, unique time slot. It's Georgia Tech at North Carolina on ESPN2. Give me the heels minus 21 and the over 63. Next up, we've got number 5, Tennessee, looking to keep their playoff bid alive at South Carolina. 7 o'clock game at ESPN. Tennessee 21-point favorites, the over-under 65-and-a-half. I think the Volunteers are looking to make statements in these games. I think they're going to win this game by more than 21 points, and I like the over 65-and-a-half as well. Into the night games once again, we've got number 14, Ole Miss at Arkansas, 7.30 on SEC Network. And I think this one can be a bit of a trap game for Ole Miss based on what happened between Arkansas and LSU last week, but I still like the Rebels minus 2.5, and I think this game goes under 64 much like we saw with the LSU-Arkansas game last week. Next up, the Bedlam game, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma, 7.30 ABC. To me, there's no way that the Cowboys should be getting 7.5 points in this one. Take the points, Oklahoma State plus 7.5, and the under 66. I think they're going to give the Oklahoma offense a lot of trouble. Rounding out the night, we've got number 10, Utah, number 12, Oregon. 10.30 nightcap over on ESPN. I like the Utes plus 3 and the over 62. Let's move on. All right, so we've got two takes, two talking points from all of you out there on Instagram this week. The first one is obviously about the greatest story in college football this season, UConn Bowl eligible, 6-5 and five on the season. And when you look at what this team has done, Jim Mora, a lot of my friends have compared it to him playing NCAA football dynasty in real life. I mean, this is the equivalent of someone taking over a one-star program, a zero-star program, and turning them around in a year. I mean, you look at where this team was last year. One win, zero wins against FBS opponents. Their one win was against a D2 team. And now they're 6-5, and five, sitting on bowl eligibility. I can't wait to see what they do going forward. The next one is obviously about the Pac-12 and what happened with them in the past week. The conference as a whole, I mean, the superpowers, the best teams have completely beat up on each other. The conference has essentially shot itself in the foot in terms of the playoff race. And USC may now be their last hope to get a team in the playoff for the first time in six years. It's going to be interesting to see how these last couple weeks for them shake out. I mean... You know, you saw what we talked about earlier with the elimination games and the semifinal scenario and the the uh, scenario with Washington and UCLA winning out, it coming down to win, per, uh, win percentage against common opponents. I can't wait to see what happens in those last two games. But that's all the time we got this week, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the platforms. Follow us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb and visit us online at thestudentsection.net. 
Whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers, enjoy this weekend of game, folks, and we will see you next Friday. Take care.